Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. All right. Hey, everyone. This is uh, Andrew. Uh, I'm so glad you're with us. Mountain Park, I love you. We've been working through the book of Ephesians together. Last week was a real doozy. Uh, We were stuck with one word for our message this week. We're going to just expand that to three. We're doing three more words this week. So uh, yay, lucky for us. But uh, wherever you're watching this from or listening to this at, um, I'm so glad we're doing it together. We're just processing all of this stuff together. And we're uh, at the halfway point in the book of Ephesians where Paul begins to shift from what you believe to how you live. And these are the foundational principles that undergird how we're called to live in this world, not just in relation to what we believe about God, but how we interact with other people. And the whole point of what Paul is getting into here for chapters four, five, and six is this is how you take what you believe, this is how you take the doctrine that Paul has taught us through Ephesians one to three and put it into practice. And um, oftentimes uh, in our Western uh, society, in even the, the, the knowledge-based educational um, uh, model that we have and live in, we often feel like we can know something intellectually without practicing it, without a need to practice it. And of course, we're learning from Paul that this just is not the case with scripture. So, hey, uh, grab your Bible, open your smartphone, turn to Ephesians chapter four. And again, we're kind of stuck in verse two here. I promise you, next week or the next time we step into this, we're on to verse three. We're gonna make some progress here. But Ephesians four, verses one and two, Let's just read them together again and uh, work our way through this. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So again, we talked about this last week. That word worthy means weight. And what Paul is saying is the weight of how you live should be in equal proportion to what you believe. So you can't just believe in God. You can't just believe the right things and not do them. That would be an imbalance of weight. Your belief needs to lead to doing. And so in the same way, you know that that the scales of justice, kind of those weights, those old style weights and measurements, Paul is saying they need to be equal. How you live needs to have the same weight in your life as what you believe, all right? So we need to actually take that seriously in our walk with God. Many of us have grown up in a culture where we uh, have been taught that it's okay and right just to believe something, just to believe it or know it intellectually or doctrinally. And Paul's saying that's only half of the equation. That's like the weight being unbalanced. What we need is to balance off the weight of how we live in our life. They need to actually equal up together. So... Um, 
I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility. Again, we talked about that last week. We spent the whole week talking about that word humility. And what Paul is saying here with that word all, in all of these uh, character traits or attributes, that word all means this needs to be done in relation to God and in relation to other people. The word all literally means we have to practice this on a vertical plane, spiritually in our relation to God, but it can't be just vertical, it has to be horizontal. It has to be expressed, in fact, in how we treat and engage with others around us. And in our culture today, like let, let's face it, in what we're living through, in this pandemic, in this global unrest that's happening all over the place, we are finding it a challenge to actually live out and express the very character that Paul is talking about here. So number one, he says, we talked about it last week, is you need to live out humility. It can't be just that you're humble before God. Your humility must be expressed in your relationship to other people. You must take the form of a servant like Jesus did. You must actually lower yourself. You must actually uh, confront your selfish desires, your pride and your vanity and your need to be uh, kind of over top of others. You have to actually do that and practice it. And we practice that not only in our personal relationship with God, but we practice that in the context of our family relationships, our marriages, our parenting, our close friendships, uh, with our coworkers, with um, classmates, and all of that other stuff. This is where we're called to actually live with humility. So, Listen to that from last week. I've already said too much about that. Um, so then Paul goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. All right, so let's just unpack what he means and what the Bible means with these words. Gentleness. In your translation, it may actually say meekness. Gentleness is equivalent to meekness. And meekness, here's what this means from a, a Bible-centric standpoint. Meekness is therefore an active and deliberate acceptance, all right? So meekness is an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances. Just turn on your TV, flick on Facebook, scroll your feed. We have undesirable circumstances all over the place, all around us. Some of us have it in our homes, in our closest relationships. If not there, then we have undesirable circumstances with government regulations, with what we can and can't do right now, with everything going on in our world. Meekness is an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only part of a larger picture. Amazing. So gentleness, living in gentleness, living in meekness requires us to actually have a larger picture of what's happening, not to see everything in these micro-analytical cases. So here's the problem right now with social media. We have boiled everything down to a Twitter status. We get our newsfeed in Twitter length portions. We are not seeing the bigger, broader picture 
of what's happening. We're not getting the whole picture. Our perspective is focused on these micro nuances and we're having trouble with it because we're unable to see the larger picture. To be meek or gentle means that we actually view people and view circumstances and view relationships with a broader perspective, which then allows us to accept what's undesirable in the moment because we see the greater picture at work. It's not a resignation of fate. Uh, meekness is not, and gentleness is not just resigning to things going on and saying, well, that's just going to be fate. I'm just going to have to live with it the way it is, blah, blah, blah. That's not what meekness or gentleness is. It's a reluctant but submissive heart to the events that are taking place. It's the patient and hopeful endurance of undesirable circumstances that identifies us as meek. So here's uh, another phrase you may have heard before. Meekness is not weakness. Here's actually what meekness is. is strength under control. This is the, <laughs> this is the problem for us is that we want to exert strength, but we wanna do it in our own way and in our own timing, in our own manner. Meekness is not weakness. It's not just being a, you know, a wilting flower and just being a doormat for everybody. Meekness is not just walking around scared and afraid all the time. Meekness is strength and power under control. The Bible says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Meekness is the integrity that we have during periods of trial and testing. It is the gentleness of the strong. Another way for us to picture meekness is the taming of an animal. So an animal who is said to be meek, you just picture a lion, for instance. You may have seen, you know, um, lions in circus shows who've been tamed, so to speak. Um, don't mention that to Siegfried and Roy. Um, but anyway, you can picture a lion who's been tamed. That lion has not lost its strength. That lion is still powerful and strong, but that strength has been brought under control. And this is what the biblical definition of meekness is. This is what Paul is saying, is look, uh, if you wanna live out your faith, you need to exercise strength under control. So often for me in my life, um, I, I lose sight of this. And when I get angry, it's to, to gratify my own desire to lash out and to push back and to, to speak out and raise my voice and assert my position. And my strength then runs out of control. And I say things I didn't mean to say and I do things that hurt people that I, that I know I shouldn't have done or didn't mean to do. And, but this fruit of the spirit of meekness, this call to gentleness, is the expression of strength, but strength with control. It's like that lion who's fierce and powerful, but uh, actually willingly submits to the leadership of its master. And meekness for a Christian is the strength 
that God has given us the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, but exercised in control as we look to the leadership of our Father. That's what meekness is. It, one scholar says it this way, meekness is the absence of the disposition to assert personal rights, either in presence of God or men. Man, okay, that's super challenging. Again, let's just take that and apply it to what we're experiencing today. Meekness is the disposition to not assert your personal rights to God or to man. So the question for you and I is, how are we interacting with and living in this day? Are we consumed with asserting our personal rights? Are we consumed with asserting our civil liberties and our rights? Well, I can do this, therefore I will. You're not comfortable with it? Tough. I can do it, therefore I will. Meekness would say, no, you actually uh, aren't fighting for your rights. You're not fighting to be heard. You're not fighting for position. You're exercising self-control. There's strength there, but that strength is expressed through the ability to control. Jesus himself, all right, the lion of the tribe of Judah, like we talked about last week, the, uh, the victorious warrior, the Lord of heaven's army, the commander of the armies of the heavens, whose strength is unlimited. Jesus is described and described himself as meek. Listen to a few of these descriptions of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says this, take up my yoke and learn from me. This is Jesus speaking. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord of heaven's armies, the king of the heavens and the earth says, follow me for I am meek and lowly in spirit. Matthew 21, five, tell daughter Zion, See, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's actually from Isaiah. It's a prophetic word from Isaiah, describing the gentleness of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10.1, this is Paul speaking to the uh, Christians in Corinth, says, now I, Paul, myself appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when absent. Paul goes on to say, I don't wanna have to confront you in boldness. So I'm going to appeal to you with the meekness and gentleness of God. I could do this. I could stand up in authority. I could impose my will on you. I could impose my rights on you. I could shove it in your face, but I'm not going to. I'm going to practice living in relation to you with the meekness and gentleness that Christ himself demonstrated. Meekness in the Bible is uh, the single greatest context of the way that it's used, gentleness, is one in which the people who are meek or gentle are vindicated and rewarded for their endurance. Again, um, remember how in describing gentleness or meekness, we talked about perspective. Perspective. 
And here's the perspective we need. We need actually a higher perspective, a heavenly one, an eternal one. We need to understand that God is the righteous judge, that he will bring justice one day, whether we see it on the earth in our lifetime or not. God is just, he will bring justice and judgment. Therefore, we can walk in self-control and in gentleness because we know we don't need to fight for something that God will make right in the end anyway. And if we don't see it in our lifetime, that's okay because God will still be righteous and just and will still bring it to pass. The opposite of meekness is a harsh and proud wickedness that insists on immediate self-vindication. So we know that we're walking in the opposite of meekness when we insist on self-vindication in the moment when we can't let something go by without speaking up and saying, yeah, but, when we can't let something go by us without having to defend ourselves or clarify the situation, let me just set things straight and right. I can't let this moment go by without putting you in your place and telling you what needs to be said. How often do we experience this? I mean. Hey, if you've been married, you've been living through this, like for as long as you've been married, it is so hard to sit there and be silent when you know you're right about something. And women, I'm, this is more, you know, you're right more often than we are as men. And it's so hard to just sit there and to have that kind of power and strength under control where you don't in the moment assert your need to be vindicated and right. With everything again going on in our world today, do you need to sit there and assert, yeah, but the scientific evidence says this, 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 and this. No, you're not right, you're wrong, I'm right. No, that's not the nature and character of God. That's why in this season, in this moment right now, if you're missing that God is calling us to this kind of faith, you're missing the whole point. You're getting lost in everything going on if you're not willing to look at and address your heart and your character. Paul is about to get into the height of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, our confrontation with demonic forces. But before we get to that part, we have to learn how to live in self-control of our own tongue, of our own heart. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to examine us. We need to examine how we live in relationship to other people. You're not going to be successful fighting on a spiritual level if you can't walk in gentleness and humility with your brother or sister, with your neighbor or the person that annoys you on your Facebook feed. This is where warfare begins spiritually and where we need to actually apprehend um, the character of God and where it must not just be a vertical relationship, but a horizontal one. Paul goes on to say, in addition to gentleness and meekness, we have to have patience. The word for patience there is also forbearance. That's what it may say in your translation. It means long suffering, slowness to anger and punishment. <laughs> the term itself is a composition, all right? It's a compound word in the original language. 
And that compound word, one of the compound words, means anger and rage. And then there's an adjective compounded onto anger and rage. That means a long time. So it literally means bearing with something that should make you angry, that should provoke rage in you, actually having a long fuse. And again, this is something I've been really challenged with in this season when, you know, our, every, our routines have been upended and all of this stuff has, you know, gone upside down and topsy-turvy. My, I found that my fuse is really short sometimes. And patience is actually having a long fuse, not blowing your cool the moment something doesn't go your way. Not, you know, shouting back the moment, you know, you're, you're, you're faced with confrontation in your home life or in, in, not uh, showing aggression at work or, or lashing back out at people immediately. Patience and forbearance is the ability to endure that kind of thing, to endure injustice, to endure anger, to endure hardship in that way and endure it for a long time. Time. It's the ability, literally, in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, he says this, the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing your temper. <laughs> Super encouraging. Thanks, Paul. It's the ability to basically take a beating and just keep on ticking without losing your temper without fighting back and lashing back. And again, like this is what Paul is saying. Like this is like foundational level necessity to walk out your faith. And we see this with Jesus in his life over and over and over again, that he exercised patience and forbearance with people, that he didn't respond back immediately with anger, that he didn't respond back with aggression but he was patient. It is the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint. Man, the ability to forbear under severe provocation. When someone, your kids, your spouse, you know, your best friend or your coworker, when they're just like pushing your buttons, right? They just, there's certain people in our life, they know how to push, our, they don't even have to work hard at it. They know exactly the thing to do to get us the most riled up the quickest. It's that kind of situation where we don't give in to the temptation to lash back out. When our buttons are being pushed, we actually forbear in patience. We give grace and kindness as a response. We keep our mouth shut. We keep our mouth shut. And we actually give grace and kindness as a response from that. Uh, keeping ourselves from acting rashly and irrationally, even though suffering and opposition are right in front of us. The Hebrew expression for patience, it means to literally be long. <laughs> and it involves the idea of being long to get riled up or slow to become angry. God is described in the Old Testament as slow to anger and rich in love. We love that when it comes to us and it, when it comes to our failures, when it comes to our um, faults and when it comes to our sin, we, we love the fact that God is slow to anger and rich in love. We love the fact that his mercy is new every morning. 
We receive that from God happily, but do we give it to other people? Do we in turn express that that same patience and forbearance? Jonah, (laughs) Jonah 4 verse 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord, please Lord, isn't this what I said? So God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going the opposite direction. He takes a boat in the opposite direction, huge storm. Uh, They realize, hey, this storm is here because Jonah disobeyed God. They throw him in the the stormy water. A giant fish comes or a whale comes, swallows him, spits him out on the shore. And he's supposed to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. He does it. He goes to what at that time is one of the largest cities on earth, and he walks the streets and says, repent, your sin is piled up against you and you need to repent and be made right with God. They do it. He didn't think they'd do it, but they do it. And then Jonah gets ticked off. And he says, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a generous and gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. God, I knew you'd give them a second chance. I don't want them to have it. God, I want them to experience, I want them right now to experience your judgment for their wrongdoing. I want them to feel the pain, God, right now. I want them to experience the hurt that they leveled on me with their words. What that person did to me, God, right now, I want them to experience your judgment and your wrath. And the Bible says God is slow to anger and abounding in unfailing love. He has forgiven your sin time and time and time again. He's been so patient with you. His call is for you to give that same patience and forbearance to other people. The New Testament also stresses the patience of God. And here's why God is patient. Paul says it in Romans 2 verse 4, God is patient because he wants to give all people a chance to repent and come to know him. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord does not delay his promise. It's not that God is slow it's not that he's, you know, not paying attention. God sees everything going on on this world right now. He knows what's happening. It's not that he's unavailable or unable to step into it. It's that he's patient with you, with your neighbor, with your family member who doesn't know him, with your coworker who doesn't know him, with that person who really annoys you online. He's patient with them, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jesus used a parable to explain it this way. I wanna read this to you as we close as an illustration for how this works out. Jesus said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. That debt, by the way, was unpayable. It would have been physically impossible. It was so much money in that time that it was literally unpayable. Nothing that man could have given up 
No amount of family members, no amount of work or servitude could ever have paid that debt. So his master commanded his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt, and that wouldn't have even done it. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, like a fraction of the amount. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. I demand retribution from you for what you've done to me. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went to and uh, reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Patience. God has been so patient with you and I. His call to us is to walk in that same patience with relation to those around us. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1, but I received mercy from God for this reason, so that in me the worst of them, Paul is saying, look, I deserve the most punishment and judgment from God. Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul has this bigger picture and perspective in mind. And Paul finishes this verse with the exhortation to bear with one another in love. That bearing literally means put up with. <laughs> it means to put up with one another, endure with each other. We're in this together. So our call is to put up with the faults and failures of each other. Our, our call is to put up with the injustice and the inequity that we experience. Jesus expressed to us this in many ways. Often he would say to the crowds, how long do I have to put up with you? But then his response was compassion. Then his response was to heal and to give mercy and to show kindness. So he, he, uh, he articulated this struggle. How long do I have to put up with you? But then the response to that question was, I'm gonna operate in grace. Paul urges us to have an attitude of love tolerating the faults and the personality quirks of those around us. We're called to bear with one another, put up with your differences, put up with your quirks, put up with your different perspectives of what we should or shouldn't be doing in this season. Put up with it, bear with one another in love, have patience and long suffering, be gentle, with people. This is how we walk out what we believe. This is the calling of God on our life and the beginning of what it means to walk in spiritual warfare and in authority. It's in love 
that we are called to relate to each other. I want to leave you this last verse from Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all else, above all else, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. Listen, is that not what we want right now, is to walk in peace? Walking in peace is practicing gentleness, practicing patience, practicing forbearance, bearing with one another in love, forgiving faults, forgiving hurt, forgiving offense, giving lots of room to other people, being slow to anger, but quick to respond in love. That, that is how we begin to actually walk in peace. Let's pray. Father, today we God, we recognize that this is much easier said than done, that it's easy to read this and really hard to live it. Father, we ask for your grace and mercy that what we know about you would be translated into how we live for you. Father, we pray that you would transform us into people of gentleness, people of patience and forbearance, people who bear with one another in love, not people who incite conflict, not people who incite division, not people who incite gossip, not people who incite confrontation, but people who bear with one another in love. Father, I pray more than anything, even for my own life, that you would teach me to have strength under self-control, to have strength under control, just like you did, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who was the lamb of God. You didn't even raise your voice when you were being beaten and whipped and tortured. You didn't cry out for your own justice. You allowed yourself to endure the humiliation of the cross to show us the kindness and the love and the salvation of God. Father, I pray that you would call us to live what we already know to be true about you, that we would express it in our families and in our churches and in our neighborhoods, Father, that people who call themselves Christians would be the ones who are known to be followers of you because how they behave and respond and react. Father, teach us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.